Welcome to the program, everybody. You just stepped inside of Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and I want to welcome you to another exciting edition of Psychotic Bump School. So, ladies and gentlemen, tonight, oh, we have an amazingly full show. We have a very special guest coming here for the very first time, and we have many, many developments to speak about that just happened over the last few days. First and foremost, of course, coming out of Super Bowl weekend, we must say, first and foremost, congratulations to the victorious Kansas City Chiefs. Winners of Super Bowl 57 just played over the weekend in the state of Arizona against the Philadelphia Eagles, the first ever Super Bowl to feature black quarterbacks on each team. The Kansas City Chiefs have emerged victorious, so congratulations to them. And of course, shouts out to my people out in Hutchinson, Missouri. Uh, I'm sure you're proud of your local Kansas City Chiefs. Once again, they are Super Bowl champions. And <laughs> yes, Rihanna is pregnant too. <laughs> okay, but in more serious news, oh my God, we've had so many things happening across the country that involve international stories. We've had surveillance forces across the border in Canada have been shooting down flying objects over the last several days. It started with a balloon and now since that time, there have been three more objects that have allegedly been shot out of the sky. We're gonna be featuring a briefing from NORAD, okay? And of course, for those that have been following the news, NORAD stands for North American Aerospace Defense Command. And we're gonna be listening to a briefing. See, I do all this stuff so you guys won't have to. You're gonna you're gonna thank DJ Rome one of these days and Psychotic Bump School for doing all this research for you. But we're actually gonna be listening to a press briefing that was held uh, over the weekend by officials, including Melissa Dalton, who represents Homeland Security and NORAD, to speak about these objects that have been spotted and allegedly shot down out of the sky by military forces. Uh, we're going to be talking about that. We're also going to be talking about uh, the natural disaster emerging in East Palestine, Ohio. Okay, there was a train derailment that is causing now a very, very dangerous environmental uh, hazard for the citizens therein. We're going to be talking about that because this is important, because anytime Aaron Brockovich shows up and comments on anything, you know, it's got to be pretty serious. So that's what's happening in Ohio. Uh, Valentine's Day is right around the corner. Oh, man. Considered by some to be one of the most hated holidays on the calendar. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about Valentine's Day. Uh, the world of hip hop and music uh, in general has lost a major, major contributor. True Goy the Dove of De La Soul has suddenly passed away, y'all. De La Soul was one of the most innovative hip-hop groups in the late 80s and 90s and to contemporary times as well. We're going to be paying a brief tribute to him this evening. And our very special guest for the evening has been rocking it in Southern California as a singer-songwriter for the last uh, decade or so or more. The good sister's name is Jametta Rose. So we're going to be inviting Jametta Rose in to talk to us about her career and legacy in the soul music movement in Southern California with Miss Jametta Rose. So that's gonna be our lineup. So you might wanna call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is KCWGthetruth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We're gonna kick off our show after this. This is Uncle Funk of the Soul Children LA and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome on KCWGthetruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet.
We are back. KCWG, the truth.com. This program is called Psychotic Bum School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, as I said at the top, over the weekend, we had Super Bowl 57 and the Kansas City Chiefs did emerge victorious out of that. But at the start of the game, uh, there was a bit of a celebration in that as Chris Stapleton, country singer Chris Stapleton was singing the national anthem. They had their traditional flyover uh, fighter pilots. And for the first time in history, there were four or five female fighter pilots flying over the stadium in Arizona as Chris Stapleton was singing the national anthem. So ironically, uh, what has been emerging in the last few days, starting with a balloon that was spotted over states in the United States that was shot down by the military earlier in the week. And since that time, ladies and gentlemen, there have been three more objects shot down out of the sky. They're not calling them UFOs. They're not calling them balloons. They're calling them objects, aerial aerial flying objects. Okay, and there has been some coordinated effort between the United States and Canada in order to address this uh, perceived potential aerial threat. So what you're about to listen to is um, there was a briefing over the weekend that was held by General Glenn Van Dirk, I believe his name is, or Van Herc. Uh, Melissa Dalton also sits on Homeland Security uh, because the latest one was shot down over Lake Huron. And I believe Melissa Dalton is out of Michigan. So what you're about to listen to is an actual briefing about what the United States has been involved in with tracking these flying objects that have been spotted over the United States of America. So stand by, we're gonna listen to it, and not in its entirety, but I am gonna let this play so that you can hear what the discussion's all about because people are talking about this and I want you to hear it. So stand by. Secretary Dalton, General Van Herc, thank you both. Uh, For our first question, we'll go to Associated Press, Tara Kopp. Hi, thank you very much, both of you, for doing this at this late hour. Um, for Secretary Dalton and for General Van Herc, you know, we've had four shoot downs in the last eight days. Can you talk about the sense of concern you have and should Americans be worried? This is a very rare thing to have this many shoot downs or any shoot downs over uh, US airspace. And then secondly, General Van Herc, can you give us any indication of what your pilots are seeing and reporting? Thanks. Before we jump into the question, just a reminder, everyone, please mute your phones. Thank you. Sounds like we have an open mic out there. My apologies. Over to you, ma'am. Great. Um, Tara, thanks so much for for the question and for dialing in also at at a late hour. Um, The safety and security of the American people are job number one for for us at the Department of Defense and and certainly for NORAD and and General Van Herc's team. Um, we, following the um, track of the PRC balloon last week, as I mentioned at the top, um, we have been more closely scrutinizing our airspace at these altitudes, enhancing our radar, um, which may at least partly explain the increase in the objects detected. Um, but we also know that there are a range of entities out there, um, whether they're private companies, research organizations um, that operate objects at these altitudes for purposes that are not nefarious, including legitimate research. Um, But because we have not been able to definitively assess what these recent objects are, um, the the president wanted to act out of an abundance of caution to protect our security and and our interests. Um, So we will remain vigilant. Um, We have made these enhancements to, to our radars um, and the operations this past week have been successful. In, in bringing down these, these potential threats. And um, we are hard at work now recovering the debris to better understand 
um, that certainly the capabilities of the surveillance balloon from the PRC, but also the nature of these unidentified objects um, to better understand were they surveillance objects, um, what was their purpose, what are their capabilities, and we look forward to sharing more as we learn more in, in the coming days. Thanks, Melissa. Let me just add on. So your question was about uh, citizens being concerned. I've assessed all of these to be non-kinetic threats to the homeland. And uh, I don't see that changing even when we recover uh, debris. Every day, NORAD, United States Northern Command are ready uh, to defend, uh, sir, as required. So I think this is a story where we were successful in detecting uh, and if uh, if needed to respond. What I would tell you is what we're seeing is very, very small objects uh, that produce a very, very low radar cross-section. I'm not gonna go into detail about shapes or anything like that, really because it's really, really difficult for pilots at the altitudes we're operating. It's a very, very slow object in the space, if you will, going at the speed of the wind, essentially, and our pilots are going 700 miles per hour to give us what I would consider a factual, a scientific based description of what we see. And therefore, I, I'm hesitant to tell you that. Uh, with that being said, I would like to talk about the radar and the challenges that we face, Some, something going this slow. So, as Assistant Secretary Dalton talked about, uh, radars essentially um, filter out information based on speed. So you can set various uh, gates, we call them velocity gates, uh, that allow us to filter out low speed clutter. So if you had radars on all the time that we're looking at anything from zero speed uh, up to say 100, you would see a lot more information. We have adjusted some of those uh, gates to give us better fidelity on uh, seeing slower objects. You can also filter out by altitude. And so with some adjustments, we've been able to uh, get a better uh, categorization of radar tracks now. And that's why I think you're seeing we, these overall. Plus there's a heightened uh, alert to look for this information. I hope that adds additional clarification. Just one quick follow-up, um, you know, four shoot downs in eight days. When was the last time that U.S. fighters were scrambled and shot something down over U.S. airspace? I, I can't remember anything. And it, it just seems like there's a, a large and quick escalation to shooting down objects. I'll have to get with our historians. I believe this is the first time within United States of America airspace that NORAD or United States Northern Command has taken kinetic action against an airborne object. Thank you, Tar. Thank you, sir, ma'am. Let's go to Jen Griffin, Fox News. Hey, thanks, Pat. Um, this is Liz. I'll be asking for Jen today. Um, are these balloons that have been shot down since Friday, or are they weather balloons? Thanks very much for the, the question. Yep, go ahead, go ahead, Glenn. Yeah, so I'm not going to categorize them as balloons. We're calling them objects for a reason. Uh, certainly the event off the South Carolina coast uh, for the Chinese spy balloon, that was clearly a balloon. These are objects. Uh, I am uh, not able to categorize how they stay aloft. It could be a gaseous uh, type of uh, uh, balloon inside a structure, or it could be some type of a propulsion system. But clearly, they're uh, 
and are able to stay aloft. I would be hesitant to and urge you not to uh, attribute it to any specific country. We don't know. That's why it's so critical to get our hands on these so that we can further assess and analyze what they are. Thank you. Next, we'll go to Nancy Youssef, Wall Street Journal. Thank you. Um, to both of you, you're saying that pre their preliminary assessment is that they don't pose a kinetic threat, but that they are objects and not balloons, and that you need to sort of adjust your radar. And I guess I'm trying to get an understanding: what is the the expectation going forward, or at least in the next few days? Are you is it your plan to continue to to shoot these down or to make adjustments such that um, you can make assessments better that they don't always have to happen when you're shooting something down? I, I'm trying to get a sense of the adjustment, General Fanwick, that you referred to and what that will look like, practically speaking, in the days ahead. Thank you. And Nancy, thanks for the question. So the expectation going forward is we'll continue to do in, doing our mission exactly like we've been doing now approaching 65 years for NORAD. If there's an unknown object that enters either Canadian or U.S. airspace, we will go out, we will attempt to identify it. If it's a threat, kinetic threat, military threat, I am delegated the authority if it commits a hostile act or hostile intent. And let me describe hostile act. Hostile act would be shooting a missile, dropping a bomb, uh, taking aggressive action. A hostile intent would be maneuvering to an offensive position against our forces or something like that. In that situation, I'm cleared directly to engage without further permission. In this case, there is no hostile act or hostile intent, but it is an unknown object. And therefore, we have to have a further discussion uh, across the government, both the government of Canada in some cases and the government of the United States to assess, is it a risk to national security by passing over key covered facilities such as our missile fields and other structure? Is it a risk to flight safety? Is it a risk to uh, personnel on the ground? And then if you're going to take action, you have to make an assessment of what is the risk of collateral damage to uh, potentially boats and mariners out of the water, our infrastructure and people on the ground. That's essentially the process you go to uh, and have to go through. And we've done that on each one of these. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's go to David Martin, CBS. You say that uh, <clears throat> this is the uh, the first time we've ever had uh, shoot downs, at least as to the best of your memory. But has any of this happened before the Chinese balloon was discovered? Have there been these unidentified objects which have been uh, tracked for a while and then left U.S. airspace, but but have entered and for one reason or another were not, uh, what should I say, prosecuted like you've, you've been doing these uh, the ones since the, uh, the the Chinese balloon. Yeah, David, so great, great question. Thanks for that. So we have scrambled in the past against radar uh, tracks that we've been unable to correlate with fighters. That has happened over years. Uh, and sometimes it's attributed to potentially being birds. Sometimes uh, it's been attributed to weather. Uh, sometimes we don't know what to attribute it to. What I would say is you go back and look over time, we've been able to figure out the best way to track various sources, including uh, the high altitude balloons that we've talked about recently back to 2019 and prior, and couple that with our uh, adjustments of our radar. It gives us a better ability to detect 
and have better domain awareness, as you've heard me talk about. I don't know if uh, Secretary Dalton wants to add anything to that. Thank you very much, Sherilyn Herc. I would just add to that that as, as we learn more about these objects and certainly the PRC balloon, um, we're going to enhance our understanding of the characteristics um, of them um, that will perhaps uh, enable us to, to look back um, at prior instances um, that were potentially overlooked or weren't looked closely enough um, at. Uh, you know, to see if, if there's a comparison to be made there and certainly will help us going forward to better identify and, and track um, these types of objects and balloons. Have you reached the uh, the object that went down off uh, uh, northern Alaska? David, uh, we're, we're actively searching for that uh, object right now. I've got a Navy uh, P-8, which is surveilling the area with helicopters as well. Uh, once we uh, locate that object, we'll put an Arctic security package in there and begin the analysis and recovery, but we don't have it right now. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go to Courtney QB, NBC. Hi, thanks. How are you so confident that the initial balloon was Chinese? Were there some markings on it? I'm trying to figure out why, because from, from very early on, it seemed that there was a real confidence versus these last three that we can't get any sense of who owns them or what they were doing. There's some sort of emergency um, crash briefing that's supposed to have closed now. Hey, we have a hot mic out there. Go ahead, Secretary. Thanks, Courtney. Yep, thank you. Um, so, Courtney, for the, the PRC balloon, um, we had a basis in intelligence uh, to know definitively um, that its point of origin was uh, the People's Republic of China. So uh, what I'm what I'm struggling with now is these these last three that we still are calling objects. We don't know what they are. You knew that the Chinese one was uh, was surveilling and potentially you knew who it belonged to. And and yet there was no effort to there. There was a decision not to take it down until it was over the ocean. I understand that there was concerns about everything on the ground there. But can someone explain why the decision is made to take these last three unknown objects? We don't know who they belong to. We don't know what they're doing. That, you know, it, but I still don't quite understand why the decision was made to it, literally in, in succession. It seems like they're being being taken down faster and faster and faster. I mean, is there is there some other concern or threat that you're tracking that that is giving a heightened sense of need to take these down? Courtney, um, the thank you that the process that General Van Hart described earlier in terms of the criteria that we work through um to determine whether you know these objects or in the case of the prc balloon the balloon was was a threat um, we look to see if it's going to pose a kinetic military threat in both cases um, that that was not the case um, we look to see is it surveilling uh, potentially dod sensitive sites um, we knew um, that was the case in both instances, and it was even more concerning in the case of the PRC balloon because we knew that it was a PRC balloon. Um, we also consider, is it a threat to civilian aviation? In the case of the PRC balloon, it was flying at an altitude that it did not pose a threat to civilian aviation. 
Um, and so that was part of uh, the criteria for bringing it down over over the water when we could safely do so, in addition to its enormous size. It was 200 feet tall. Payload was the size of, of three school buses. Um, and, you know, for these, these unidentified objects um, being much smaller, but unfortunately flying at an altitude um, that, that did pose a risk, risk uh, potentially to safe civilian aviation, that was part of the criteria that went into deciding to um, take the objects down over the last three days um, sooner in, in the, the tracking cycle. Um, so, you know, that's the process that we have rigorously worked through over the last week. General Van Herk, anything you want to add? No, uh, Melissa, I think you're, you're right on. I don't have anything to add. Thank you. Let's go to Brent Dahlberg, Michigan Radio. Hi, thanks. Uh, a missile seems like a particularly destructive weapon uh, to be using if there's a desire to investigate and figure out what these are afterwards. Can you explain why, ex explain the weapon's choice? Absolutely. Melissa, if you don't mind, I'll take this one. So um, first of all, uh, maintaining a radar track on an object this small uh, is very hard. So taking a uh, radar shot, such as an AIM-120, uh, would be a lower probability of success. We assessed taking a gunshot uh, yesterday in that event as well as uh, today. And the pilots in each situation felt that that was really unachievable because of the size, especially yesterday in the altitude, uh, and uh, also because of uh, uh, the challenge to acquire it visually because it's so small. It's also potentially a safety of flight issue because you have to get so close to the object before you see it that you potentially could fly into the debris or the actual object. Therefore, in each situation, the AIM-9X, a heat-seeking missile or infrared missile that sees contrast, has been the, uh, uh, the weapons of choice against the, uh, the objects which we've been seeing. In each case, we have taken extreme caution to ensure that we limit potential collateral damage. So today we work closely with the FAA to clear out the airspace. Uh, I, I gave direction specifically to the pilots to use their visual acuity to check for mariners on the ground, uh, airplanes in the air to clear with their radars as well. And when they were comfortable that we could minimize collateral damage, they selected the best weapon today. That was the AIM-9X and they took the shot. Thank you. Let's go to Helene Cooper, New York Times. Hi, thanks, Pat, and thanks for doing this. This is for General Van Herc. Uh, because you still haven't been able to tell us what these things are that we are shooting out of the sky, uh, that raises the question, um, have you ruled out aliens or extraterrestrials, and if so, why? Because that is what everyone is asking us right now. And thanks for the question, Helene. I'll let the intel community and the uh, counterintelligence community figure that out. I haven't ruled out anything uh, at this point. We continue to assess uh, every threat or potential threat unknown that approaches North America uh, with an attempt to identify it. Thanks. Okay, let's go to uh, Warren Lieberman, CNN. 
Uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, are you currently tracking other unidentified objects in US airspace? And you've now shot down three objects in three days. Are we to believe these are the first three unidentified objects in US airspace? Or do you believe there are dozens or potentially hundreds of other such objects that have flown through US airspace? And have any of these recent objects interfered with pilot sensors? Thank you. Yeah, for your last question, I'm not going to talk about the uh, sensors and what, what we've seen. But if you don't mind, that, that needs to come out through the intel communities and what we've seen. I'm not currently tracking any other objects at this point. That doesn't mean there couldn't be more at some point in the future. But right now, we're not seeing anything. As far as, uh, uh, you know, why previously, well, I don't know if there was more. We do know after the fact that there was high altitude balloons because we went back and we were able to reconstruct that. As far as these specific objects at this time, I'm unaware to say. It's certainly possible, uh, but uh, I, I don't have the fidelity to give you the, the answer. We will go look at the data to see if we can figure anything out uh, about the potential for not seeing these previously. Okay, and there we have it. That's a briefing that was held over the weekend, and we are going to continue to monitor this story. And uh, one of the latest developments that we know about is that China is now accusing the United States of uh, flying balloons over their country. And so this back and forth is just possibly the beginning. Um, former members of NORAD have come out on television recently to talk about the fact that our potential adversaries around the world may be testing out our aerial surveillance systems. They think this might be a coordinated effort, but they're not sure. Lots of unanswered questions, but we will continue to monitor this. But this is KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And coming up in a little bit, we'll have singer-songwriter Jametta Rose. But coming up after this break, we're going to be continuing our uh, recent developments that happened right around Super Bowl weekend, including what's happening in East Palestine, Ohio. We're going to be talking about True Goy the Dub of De La Soul, Valentine's Day. And man, so much more to get to. So stay tuned for more. We'll continue our show after this. Okay, in more domestic news, in East Palestine, Ohio, there was a train derailment. Okay, train went off the tracks, ladies and gentlemen, and exploded. And the citizens in that local area had to evacuate in order to avoid the environmental toxicities that enveloped the area. There's now uh, reports of dead fish and contaminated water. It's a horrible scene. And as I said before, Aaron Brockovich, the real Aaron Brockovich, has been speaking out about the potential hazards that be that could be impacting the citizens there. And by the way, there was actually a film that came out toward the end of uh, 2022 uh, that starred Adam Driver and Don Cheadle. It's on Netflix right now. It's called White Noise. Okay, White Noise available right now on Netflix, and it's a considered a comedy drama. But in that movie, ladies and gentlemen, they were talking about. Um, a natural disaster 
disrupting the lives of the citizens of this region in Ohio. It is actually based in Ohio. And the extras that are that were used in that movie, White Noise, uh, they were actually living in East Palestine and they had to evacuate in real life. OK, so the film came out in November 2022, White Noise on Netflix. And extras from that movie were from the city of East Palestine and East Palestine citizens, those same people that played in the movie actually had to evacuate upon this natural. Uh, well, it's not natural. It was a train derailment that caused an explosion and it's made the environment really toxic for people to live there. Hey, what do you see out there? The radio said a tank car derailed, but I don't think it derailed from what I can see. What I did think you? it got rammed and something punched a hole in it. There's lots of smoke and I don't like the looks of it. What does it look like? You see fire engines or? They're all over the place. Only it looks to me like they're not getting too close. It must be pretty toxic or pretty explosive stuff. Let's listen to a little bit of the briefing of what's happening in East Palestine, Ohio. And uh, check out how they're doing over there in East Palestine. Stand by. East Palestine, Ohio, the site of a major derailment on Friday, February 3rd, 2023. The NTSB recorded this drone video on Sunday, February 5th. Now, the scene may have changed since then, but this is some of the closest footage I've seen. Keep in mind, this was shot when it was just too dangerous for first responders to be here. There are all types of cars on the ground, boxcars, covered hoppers, and tank cars. If you haven't heard all the details about this, well, here they are. This was a Norfolk Southern train which originated in Madison, Illinois and was headed to Conway, Pennsylvania, and East Palestine, Ohio borders Pennsylvania. According to the NTSB, about 50 cars were involved in the derailment. Ten of the cars that derailed were carrying hazardous materials. Five were hauling vinyl chloride. Okay, so the question on everyone's mind, what caused all this? Well, the NTSB is still in the very early stages of its investigation, and keep in mind, this is preliminary information. We uh, have attained two videos which show preliminary indications of mechanical issues on one of the rail car axles. We are working to identify which rail car experienced the potential mechanical issue for further examination. All right, so there is trackside equipment designed to alert rail workers about issues like this. We can say the crew did receive an alarm from a wayside de defect detector shortly before the derailment indicating a mechanical issue. Then an emergency brake application initiated. So lots of work to be done in East Palestine, Ohio. Uh, big news out of there, so we're gonna be staying in touch with that. So coming up, we're gonna listen to this track a uh, legendary group called the Isley Brothers. They recorded this in the early 70s. It's a remake of a song by Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young and shouts out once again to the late David Crosby. We lost him a few weeks ago. He was a part of the group that recorded the original version of this song written by Neil Young, a solo artist and a member of Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. The song he wrote was called Ohio. It was a protest song that spoke out about the Kent state shooting of the National Guard against students who were protesting the Vietnam War that was suddenly expanding into Cambodia. So those were students that got gunned down by our own uh, United States forces. And so it was called Kent State. Uh, Ronald Isley of this group, as he was speaking, uh, I don't know if we'll get to this uh, in, in the show, but he was talking about the fact that his brother O'Kelly, I think, who had passed away you know, a number of years ago, was so down he couldn't even perform this song live. 
because it was sad, you know, it, it, it was it's considered a protest song. The Isley Brothers did a live rendition of this uh, way back in 1972. They combined it with a Jimi Hendrix song called Machine Gun. And you're about to hear Ronald Isley, the Isley Brothers, Rudolph O'Kelly, and uh, back then, Ernest Isley, as he was known, before he officially joined the group with his brother Marvin Isley and Chris Jasper on keyboards, Marvin Isley, of course, on bass, may he rest in peace. Uh, this is Ohio Machine Gun from the Isley Brothers. Stay tuned for more. We'd like to move on and do a little something written by Neil Young. Song that we didn't do last night because Kelly got set so down after we did the second show. It's a song about the situation that happened there at Kent State, Ohio. So we need your imagination on this song. I'm a little hoarse, but I'll try it anyway.
Yeah, in my 
Okay, they just do not make them like that anymore. Shouts out to the Isley brothers and uh, continue prayers for our peoples out in East Palestine, Ohio. Okay, Valentine's Day is this week, y'all, right around the corner. And some people consider this to be, of course, a season of flowers and gratitude and everything, but it's also one of the most dreaded holidays on the calendar. Uh, there are some relationship hacks that have been speaking about this phenomenon of how we anticipate Valentine's Day, depending on our uh, marital status, marital status, our single status, relationship status. And uh, they recommend a couple of things in order to help us to deal with that. They have a technique that they're recommending, psychologists that is, it's called turning toward, turning toward. Okay, uh, couples who stay together turn toward their partner's effort to connect with them 86% of the time is what this article says on Psychology Today. And those who later divorced only turn toward their bids 33% of the time. Okay, these moments of turning toward the other accumulate over time, creating goodwill and helping mediate future conflict. Think of it as making a deposit in an emotional bank account. Okay, so how many deposits lately have you gotten into your <laughs> emotional bank account? And the article goes on to say that gratitude is a game changer and it makes a difference. Um, in intimate relationships, when you write down things in a private journal, uh, that's something, but it's not enough. You need to actively express thanks. It's important to have some self-compassion. Don't beat yourself up for not seeing the positive things that others do. But the thing is, what the article is trying to get us to see is when you are looking for problems, that tends to be what you see, okay? When you look for problems, that tends to be what you see. So they're saying that small shifts in thinking, such as turning toward, is a way to combat the blues that we experience from Valentine's Day and make a deposit into someone else's uh, emotional bank for this Valentine's Day, okay? Now, for what it's worth, I know for some it's considered just a pagan holiday, but it is considered a thing for those of us that celebrate this day. Uh, let's try turning toward, all right? You want a little sugar in your bowl every once in a while and you want honey deep in your soul. That's a quote from blues singer Nina Simone. Uh, meditate on what sweetens your life and see what happens. You left me. Yes. Welcome to the wonderful sound of Tyler Crowley. Ladies, I got you in the mood. Four interlude, roar like in the nude. I hope this ain't considered rude, but let's stop talking cause it's feeling like an interview. I know you're into me, so let me get into you. I'm always in the mood for laughing and loving the rapping and the passing the dutch and relaxing the puffing and hitting and dunking the ripping production. These kittens they muffins. Just because they stuff them in the oven, my words dripping off the tongue like the wax from a candle wick. Ill the way I laid on the rap, I can't handle it. Cats all sappy like romantic flicks. Dude, get a clue like Colonel Mustard in the study with a candlestick. They hold their hands with these dudes like they going steady But one glimpse and I know they ready, you already know Slip the note like you ready to go We make a getaway plan and we have for the dope Let's I go. wear the night like a cloak cause I move with the stars Come Navigate on. through the truly bizarre Who we are, who we is, it's the kids that stay true to this life And if the mood is right, we gon' do it tonight I wear the night like a cloak yeah, cause yeah, I move yeah. with the stars yeah. Navigate through the truly bizarre yeah, Who we are, who uh -huh. we is, it's the kids that stay uh -huh. true to this life If the mood is right, we gon' do it tonight Ooh. You're messing up my mode, my whole mood told you Old Z crews like soul food The only producer that feel like rappers Only backpacker with a chip like hackers Only Michael Richardson, only much blacker So if he say nigga, then I'ma say Is this a Ritz? Carlton dressed like, fresh like, just like I'm the uh, You ain't figured out what I'm about yet Always rockin' at this ain't out yet, but this ain't bout that Plumber city where niggas plug like outlets 
far as music go, yo, it ain't no outlet So when I go out, niggas always out to get me in the studio And I ain't in the mood to flow I'm with my girl and I'm trying to hit the movie show And they trying to act stupid, oh In the club with Silicon Susie What happened to real girls like Rudy? This girl got a silicone booty And got the nerve to act moody Now I ain't trying to judge like Judy if you a man, you can't fool me Act like 50, throw in a pool I wear the night like a cloak Cause I move with the stars yeah. Navigate through the truly bizarre uh-uh. Who we uh-uh. are, who we is Is the kids that stay true to this life And if the mood is right We gon' do it tonight I wear the night like a cloak Cause I move with the stars Navigate through the truly bizarre Who we are, who we is Is the kids that stay true to this life And if the mood is right We gon' do it tonight Break it down Okay, and our final story for this segment, uh, hip-hop and the world of music lost a major, major contributor. I'm going to mispronounce his name. I think it's David is his first name, Jolia Kaur. Jolia Kaur, oh my God. His name in the group is called Trugoy the Dove, one-third of legendary, innovative, inspirational hip-hop group De La Soul. He passed away over the weekend, y'all, and this is a devastating blow to the hip-hop community. Uh, De La Soul, of course, is part of the native tongues that came out in the late 80s, along with Queen Latifah, A Tribe Called Quest, The Jungle Brothers, Black Sheep. All of these groups were innovative in that they kind of spoke against and went against the grain of what was happening in music, whether it was the uh, amplified political speech coming out of East Coast groups such as Public Enemy or They also acted as a counter to the gangster rap and commercial music that was coming out of the West with groups like N.W.A., Dr. Dre and what have you. And so De La Soul, along with Native Tongues, they sort of represented this sort of a hippie movement in hip hop. And they made it cool to get rid of the gold chains and start rocking the African medallions. They brought a consciousness into the lyrics, into the delivery of hip hop music, and they made hip hop fun again. Okay. They made hip hop fun. They made it inclusive for people that were more about the simple things. They weren't about the rah-rah commercialism and uh, just being extra. They were about the culture of people. 
Yes, every once in a while, they too rock the N-word, you know what I'm saying? But overall, the music was crisper. The music was sharpened with a finer tuned ear toward finding music samples from jazz artists, not just James Brown, but jazz artists, uh, classical artists, blues artists. And adding those elements into the music really, really changed the game for hip hop. De La Soul was right at the forefront of that. True Goy the Dove was right there too. They also brought in an element of funk. And that's why one of their biggest hits was Me, Myself, and I was a sample, which was a sample of um, not just Knee Deep, okay? And so we lost True Goy the Dove over the weekend at the age of 54. Not much has been said about his cause of death. We are aware that he had been recently experiencing some, um, some heart issues. More will be spoken about uh, in coming days about his passing and his life and legacy and contribution to the world of hip hop and music in general. True Goy the Dove from one of my favorite groups of all time, De La Soul, has passed away, y'all. May he rest in peace. I got the native tongue touch. Meanie, 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 meanie. Meanie, 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 meanie. Meanie, 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 Snap my fingers, make you mind If not, I'll snap a second time After that, I guarantee you will be standing next to me Hey yo, special shout out go out to my native tongue crew, crew. You know, come on, for read, for read You know what I'm saying, he formerly known as Q-Tip But I still call him Q-Tip, let me call him Q-Tip Yo, what up, y'all, this is Q-Tip right here, man My native tongues, my house, man I'm here with my man, J-Period From the soul, guess what we'll find? Whole lot of fun, lots of fun together, just like kissing cousins. Yeah, that's kind of clever. Close like bosoms, bosoms stay close if you be my buddy. I will toast that while like Elfamos and Lucille McGillicuddy. You can be mine, and I can be your buddy. All right, coming up after this, we're going to have our singer-songwriter out of Southern California, the good sister Jametta Rose, will be joining us right here on Psychotic Bump School. So this is KCWG, the truth.com. This program is called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. Stay tuned for more. We'll be right back with Jametta Rose after this. Can you turn it up a This is Jametta Rose, and you're listening to DJ Rome on Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. If I just look in your eyes, I drift away into sweet reverie. 
Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, I am very, very excited to have this next guest on. You know, we've been talking about the LA underground, you know, that West Coast underground soul movement that I love so dear. Lee, <laughs> dear Lee, that is. And it's not often I get to talk to people that have been, you know, really intrinsic to that movement. And we cross paths and we don't always 
uh, spend a lot of time getting to know one another, but some of us do. And then oftentimes we have encounters such as this, where I'm going to learn a lot today, just right along with you out there. So this good sister has been tearing it up for years. She's a singer. She's a songwriter. She's been with some of the most prolific creators, beat makers, artists, musicians in the game. And I'm going to let her tell us all about it, but I cannot wait to hear it all from her. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, the good sister, Jametta Rose. Jametta, how you doing? Hey, what's up? We are cool and gang. How are you doing? I'm feeling good today. I'm feeling good. It's Sunday. Sunday's usually like my workout kind of a chill day. I get to do a... a dance workout on Sundays and usually kind of chill but this week has been a little bit more hectic so I'm grateful for this time to check in with you and speak to you and your listeners hey thanks for having me thanks for the invite indeed indeed so it is a beautiful weekend and of course by the time you hear this ladies and gentlemen the Super Bowl results will have been determined so we're going to get to that in just a little bit later in this program but Jametta, you are a stalwart of Southern California and its music scene down there. And how would you say you came to cross paths with some of the cats that uh, you and I both know? Uh, there's going to be some names mentioned here, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, one or two of them may have been on this program before, and some you may be hearing for the first time. So Jametta, how did you get your start in the music scene in Southern California? Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Um, I started singing at different poetry and hip-hop venues. Um, I've always sang, so before that, I was singing in school, church. Um, I went to Performing Arts Magnet. And so by the time I got um, out of high school and the singing group that I was in, um, we parted ways. And so, you know, I was kind of like at this point of, trying to figure out how I could express myself and find ways to make songs. And so I would go to different uh, hip hop venues, beat, um, beat, beat centered events. Mm -hmm. And so like, um, Koopma used to have a night called sketchbook and my, my yes. brother, um, his name is brother Devue, but he's all, he was also my brother. He is my brother, you know? And so, Mm. He would, we would do a duo act and I would like sing his hooks at different hip hop shows. And so that's how I started to find out about these hip hop shows with beat makers. And, you know, um, Sketchbook was very implemental because they used to have just a cipher of beat makers outside. And I think what Sketchbook was like the start of ended up turning into low end theory and like, you know, turning into that mm -hmm. big beat scene. But <clears throat> Flying Lotus, uh, Diabolic, who now goes as Bibiasi, um, Raj G, um, mm. N.A., shout out to N.A. All these people, you know, would be out there playing their weekly batch of beats, you know, and uh, rappers usually would be um, freestyling. And so I, I can freestyle sing. So that's what I would do in the cypher. And I met a lot of people that way. Um, some people I met um, due to the, the hustle and my work ethic you know um, I met House Shoes uh, putting my records into um, what was the um, 
Fat Beats. I was putting my records into Fat Beats on Melrose. Oh, yeah. That's and right. So, you know, they used to do consignment. So I, w- I would go to like record stores and put my my own CD in there, you know. And Shoes was like, man, it's rappers, it's, it's beat makers, it's, it's dudes that's like think they artists, but they're not doing this. Uh, he's like, you know, you got heart. And so that's how we became friends, and we've been friends ever since. And um, nice. Well, uh, I was blessed to be able to put out our project together, The Gift, around the way Queen last year. And that was a long time coming um, as far as from when it was recorded to when it was released. But, you know, the friendship and the relationships over time um, lasting is, is the, the biggest blessing of it all. And so mm. I feel like I met so many different people in a, a lot of different ways. You know, when you say like, tell me how you met people, it's interesting. It's mostly organic, but <clears throat> um, Shafiq, he's always been my brother. Yes, I love working with him. We always make really magical tunes. Um, I remember the first time that he hit me up, I thought that he was hitting me up because I had been singing a song I wrote over a Saura beat. It was like the Saura beat from Glorious. I just love that beat so much. Oh, and yes. I was like, you know, I'm going to write I'm gonna write a song and I'm going to sing it at a poetry venue or something. You know? And so I was singing this song around town and suddenly I, I get a call talking about Shafiq wants you to come to the studio. I'm like, oh, wait, first of all, <laughs> you know, he got he got in touch with me, and secondly, I'm like, I hope they're not like mad about this whole <laughs> singing thing because I just uh, want to sing over a track like this. And sure enough, it was not about that at all. He just wanted to work with me. He, he liked my voice, and so you know, um, organic. <laughs> it's always been organic uh, ways of meeting everybody, um, and just being my genuine um, self. I think helped to navigate through the different. Uh, quote unquote in crowds or whatever because I don't care about any of that I treat everybody the same and so I think that comes across and and um just being an authentic person and so I've been mm-hmm. blessed to uh meet others who are authentic and build friendships not only um just music and see that's that's the beauty of it because what she just described for you ladies and gentlemen was a pocket of West Coast soulful history, all right? She mentioned sketchbook. You said sketchbook, right? Yeah. (laughs) So sketchbook was an an event at a venue called the Little Temple in a little small town called Silver Lake. And it borders, I guess, on East LA, right? And they were owned by, that was owned by, at the time, Louie and Nettie Ryan. They had three venues, Temple Bar in Santa Monica, Zanzibar in Santa Monica, and all the way over in East LA, Silver Lake, was this venue called Little Temple. And they had this event, I believe it was on Tuesday nights, if I'm not mistaken, right, Jametta? Yeah. You guys had a Tuesday night, because we followed y'all on a Wednesday night, but Sketchbook, not only did they make beats, but them cats could draw, because Kutma, I know he's an artist, right? Can't Kutma draw? Yeah, it would be literally sketchbooks inside. Exactly. Draw on. I mean, that is, I mean, just the formation of so many things happened out of that event. She mentioned Kutma, who uh, the good brother's in, uh, oh, is it London? Or is it, uh, well, I know he's in Europe because. He's in Germany. Oh, he's in Germany now? Oh, okay. Okay. Well, shouts out to DJ Kuma. He's definitely someone who's had uh, so many of our backs uh, while he was living here in the States and in California. And then you mentioned Shafiq. Shafiq is one third of a production team. She mentioned Glorious. You mentioned so much. And it's like, I love it all. And I just wanted to hear it. 
and from your perspective, Shafiq was part of a is part of a collective called Sara Creative Partners. I'm not sure where they stand right now, but they were formally signed briefly to Good Entertainment, Kanye West and everything. But we know them, Jametta, for the stuff they did outside of that, right? The Hollywood recording stuff. And I'm sure that's what kind of got your attention. So what was it like? Oh, oh, and one more. Uh, she mentioned a cat named DJ House Shoes, like the the on your feet, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you wear house shoes on your feet. This cat is the cat and he like you remember Tarak um yeah. Tarak came I, didn't they both come from Detroit when yeah when, yeah and so House Shoes is a cat uh from the east coast and he made his way out to California and he got you know mixed in with that scene that Jametta is talking about so you you meet right you meet all these these people all these talents uh where did it go from there for you Shafiq calls you to the studio. It wasn't about getting on your case about the song or what have you. He genuinely wanted to work with you. How do you, how would you describe the experience in the studio with Shafiq Hussein? What was that like for you? Uh, it was new and interesting. Um, a, a lot less, a lot more room for improvisation. And so I think it strengthened my ability to improv because I was used to going to sessions where everything was like, okay, we're going to have these parts, we're going to have this. Um, and, and even in my experience in church, you knew every part that was um, supposed to be saying. So with this, mm -hmm. it would be a lot more free. And so um, I enjoyed that. I, I like that it helped me to think more abstractly about different ways to approach songwriting. Even. Mm -hmm. yeah, so he's still a master at that to this day. And so, you know, I think that was one of the things that was most impressed upon my young mind at the time. Mm. From the time of recording, uh, you've also done some touring with some of these acts too, whether it be for your own projects or with theirs. Uh, what was that time like for you on the road with uh, producers such as uh, Shafiq, if he was one of them, Quantic, I think you've been uh, touring with uh, Quantic as well. Uh, how does the studio experience compare to kind of just coming off the top in events like Sketchbook to doing your own material live on the road. Uh, how would you make those distinctions? Well, Quantic, um, love and just gratitude everlasting. Quantic, he took me on my first uh, international as well as a national tour run. And so I was able to see the hard work of being a tour. So I feel like, I feel like everything has been just like um, the opportunity comes and the talent and skill is there and the work ethic is there for what you know. And then you go in and you find out the other things. And so like self-care and having a, a very healthy daily lifestyle helps when you go on tour because it, it makes it easier to try to stick to that, which is going to help you have stamina and energy because it's a lot less sleep. It's a lot less glamorous. It's, you're traveling, but you barely see things. You have to make an intention to you know, uh, see sites or to, to, to really see things because you might have to be in the next town the next day for a show. And so I learned a lot on the road with Quantic and I was very grateful. I was, um, I was super green, you know, I, I thought, you know, that I'm just a person that's like, Hey, like everybody, we're going to talk. We're going to, and I quickly realized, <laughs> shout out to my brother Sly, who was on that tour, Sly, um, Fifth Avenue. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Fly uh, told me, hey, Jamaica, you know, this work, 
<laughs> he was like, we all cool and everything, but you know, mm. it's work. Everybody not gonna be like buddy, buddy. We might not always eat dinner together. I was like, for real? Oh. <laughs> Oh, okay. So okay. you know, just learning, learning how the road was was uh, very good, and I, I'm very and and eternally grateful to Quantic because that was uh, the first real uh, road on the road experience and uh, the first uh, European um, touring, and I was singing uh, Quantic's repertoire, and we had one song together, but I was singing mostly Alice Russell songs, so. It really showed me the amount of energy and work that is required, and if and that I had it in me to give, but I didn't have it in me to, uh, so for for instance, split. So if I was gonna have this music that I have in me, uh, reach all these people that I'm seeing, it's like yeah, I have to, I can't like uh, be a touring background singer or featured singer. I need to focus on how to get this message and this music out and so that's what I did and um, now I've been able to travel um, with my own music project as well as solo abroad and it's, it's just very um, inspiring to be able to come back and still be inspired to work here in the community but um, having the ability to now uh, I feel like express myself clearly um is is refreshing and it's inspiring that it's reaching so many people absolutely the crowds uh Jumetta, would you say how would you describe playing for an la crowd versus a crowd over there or even a crowd in another city or town across the united states what can you tell us about some experiences that may have stood out as being a unique feature of a particular location you were in whether it be domestically or internationally well, I feel like um, some of the kind of uh, surprising and memorable parts of touring the United States was seeing that we live in a very urban area here in Los Angeles and Southern California. And even up in the Bay, as long as you're quite close to the cities, I'm sure that you're still having a very urban mm -hmm. experience where... Um, Things are kind of um, liberal. Um, it's not like um, overt racism everywhere. Well, when we got to traveling through through America, I, I was able to see that it's a lot of places where they uh, don't have much outside um, influence other than the TV and the programming. And so, you know, it was my first time seeing some hate speech in person, you know, on mm. Ku Klux Klan people looking on, you know, and we're just driving to the next town. And it's like, wow, on a Saturday morning, that's what they decided to do. It's like, it's so many beautiful ways to spend your Saturday morning. But they were on the freeway, like, get out of our town. And, you know, and it, and, and mm. it wasn't specifically towards us. It was just hate in general. But it was interesting to see America um, from that perspective because, you know, as much as we say that so much has changed in our country, I think that what these times are revealing is that nothing was changed. Everything was just, you know, covert and now it's not. And so mm -hmm. it's an interesting time to be an artist. It's, it's an interesting time to be a black human being. And it's an interesting time to uh, just be alive. Right. <laughs> but Right. But um, 
it's a lot of layers to it. And so I'm, I'm happy to uh, still be able to find uh, joy in the creation of music. Music has always been what carried me through even the, the tough times. Oh, definitely. And how about abroad? Uh, touring with Quantic. I'm not, where's Quantic from again? He is from London. So the receptivity to an American artist in London, there is a symbiotic thread I've always felt between our scene here and West London, where I've never been. Uh, the broken beat scene, you know, I've had Eric Rico on here before. I'm sure you've, you know him. Um, he actually got a lot of, you know what I'm saying? I mean, he got a lot of inspiration between West London, what was happening there, and some of the events he was, you know, frequenting in Southern California, you know, when he got here. What, how would you describe the receptivity to you and what you were offering to people out in London where Quantic is from? Oh man, I feel like the receptivity to just quality music in general, but I, I think that they do um, recognize uh, the novelty of a, a voice and having your own sound. It's not so repetitive of like what is accepted as the popular music there. And so mm -hmm. I definitely felt a lot more um, warm embrace and just um, the natural affinity for great music and, and the expression of it. I think that you get that here, but in, in LA, everybody, every, uh, most people are artists themselves as well or something, you know? And so um, it, gets, it gets hard to be um, unbiased, right? Mm -hmm. but, but there I feel like it's just this unbridled appreciation for the music for the culture because also you know African Americans we are different um, in this African diaspora that people talk about here and there or try to um, connect us you know there mm -hmm. is a connection but we are the most liberated in my opinion as far as like from the colonial mindset mindset uh, mm -hmm. being in in these European countries a lot of them are they they claim that European country as well as their home country right mm -hmm. um, but in a in a very patriotic way is how we would think about it and and it's 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 interesting because it's like but your country was conquered it's like it, it made me feel militant minded a bit um simply because um the riches and the and the and the the grandeur that you saw around if if you saw that if you didn't see the you know older sewage systems it was it, it's a it's a great beautiful place but to understand that it was built on the blood of of your people and, mm -hmm. and my people and and all the people around the world and it's like and, and you and you you claim this like it's like you claim this so the uniqueness of a african-american expressing joy expressing light and love and gratitude but also being very honest about the the lack of fairness in this system sometimes or you know i feel like it was it was inspiring to me it was like wow um it doesn't feel like censorship i i, I appreciated the diverse conversations i had in europe and the fact that I, I could see that here in America, it's like we think we're deep, but we don't have, we don't like to converse. We like to talk about sports or we like to talk about what show you're watching. But like, you know, I, I feel like they, they don't only talk about politics, but they get like 
intimate. They get more intimate in conversations than we do here. And so that was interesting and a, and a great addition to my perspective on this on this planet. You know, it was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Right, right. That's a nice way to be. I mean, I enjoy that. You know? I mean, that it's dope that you were able to go over there because I saw somewhere that most people, Jametta, in the United States, well, I guess they were talking specifically about the black community. It, it was a stunning uh, quote, and I can't remember where I saw it, but they said something to the effect of 72% of Americans in the black community still live only within 50 miles of the hospital they were born in, meaning that we don't tend to travel internationally, one. Yeah. Two, we don't, you know what I'm saying? I mean, for real, you know, I mean, that was stunning to me. And anytime we are able to go abroad and see how other people uh, interrelate, who, I mean, just the raw appreciation, you know, again, I mentioned my good brother, DJ Al Jackson. I mean, his father, Al Jackson Jr., um, he was a bass player, a jazz bassist, and he was able to go overseas and uh, spend a lot of time in Japan. And he sent money home to raise our Al Jackson III and support his wife, Al Jackson's mom. And it that mm -hmm. that's how they get down over there. You can actually have a standard of living of dignity because it, the the art mm -hmm. was so appreciated. The the realness of the quality, kind of like what you were alluding to earlier, just the the realness, the texture of real music, the quality of a, yeah. a voice. The and and the like, you know, the critic, like it, it's it's so cultural. It's like um mm. it's like tasting food and it's savoring. Mm -hmm is savoring things yes. but also also afterwards conversing about it so it makes it it it, it, it it's why qualified art right so mm. they made art art had to to create discussion you know that's what used to be the basis of art but here in america and really in our society here at large now because we have a global society now with the internet and everything and so we mm -hmm. have more um, fast-paced uh, processing of everything to where, you know, now you can have a, a NFT that's art and it doesn't have to be artistically anything, you know, but mm -hmm. it's art because of the name, not because of causing discussion. But now we're talking about it, so then does it qualify as art, you know? So wow. it's just... It goes back to superficiality versus intimacy versus mm -hmm. actually using your brain, like using your brain and expressing your unique perspective as opposed to, as Erica Badu said, groupthink or as, as opposed yes. to hive mind or as opposed like, so, so everybody thinks the same and this is how I think, well, you got to be careful with that because that's how Hitler was able to have the Holocaust be successful for them years because he uh -huh. had hive mind he had fear but he also had people not willing to say well i don't i don't really feel like this is right what's coming up next for you well um i started a choir four years ago in april it'll be four years um called the voices of creation and we have a record called how good it is that album came out on night dream of Okay, I'm not, I'm not, I'm losing you. I'm losing you. Um, can you repeat that? I heard Voices of Creation and then you're working on an album called what again? We released the album, How Good It Is, on Night Dreamer Records. 
last August in the UK. The vinyl will be available here in the States. Um, the first time will be at our show on May 3rd. Um, and so we're very excited about that record still. Um, and we've got new songs and we're preparing to record another album. Uh, so that's going to be exciting. And just getting ready for our show at the Lodge Room on May 3rd. Uh, we'll, we'll be doing Jazz is Dead with Lady Blackbird. So it's going to be a good, good, good time there. And then in August, uh, we will be in London for the We Out Here Fest with Giles Peterson. Uh, mm. Oh, sweet. Yeah, no doubt. Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and you know we're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time, and it repeats again on Friday evenings from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific time. Check back with us. We shall return next week. Also want to thank our very, very special guest for the evening, good sister, singer-songwriter, Jametta Rose. Also want to send a very, very special shout-out to Mr. Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care. <laughs>